Hi campers, welcome to Museum Camp. I'm Megan. I'm Madison and we're talking into new microphones. Can you tell? Do we, How do sound, we sound buttery in your ears? Because we're almost pure butter. We are, I think, 78% if I we eat remember a lot of correctly. That's what we're getting at. We eat a lot. We eat a lot of butter. A lot. Yeah. Oh. A croissant, a croissant. Oh my god, I love a croissant. You know what's also so good is just buttered toast or buttered bread, even. Like you get me a baguette. That's what I'm gonna do for dinner tonight. I'm okay. gonna go a on baguette my way and home. Butter. I'm gonna do a butter and baguette. Maybe mm-hmm. I'll get some cheese if I'm feeling fancy. I like that. I like a nice sourdough <sighs> with a little just butter and like some flaky salt on top. Yeah, dude. Oh my god. I'm ready. That sounds so good right now. Yeah. And it's happening. I'm yeah. doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brag. <laughs> Campers, what's up? <laughs> Are you guys, uh, have, how much do you like butter and slash how much of your body is made up of butter? Yeah. And what's your favorite brand of butter? And why is it obviously Tillamook? <laughs> it's got to be Tillamook. Um, I do. I have um, recently ventured into the butter section of Jungle Gyms. Ugh. To start getting some fancy French and Belgian butters. Okay. So. Do you have any right now? I do. (laughs) Do you want some? A spoonful, please. Yeah, you got it. (laughs) Just a spoonful of butter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Amazing. Yeah, it's a good remix. What's Um, up with you, man? Oh, you know, just living. Yeah. In the greater Cincinnati area. Oh, uh, paradise. Paradise. <laughs> <laughs> they, d- <laughs> they do call it the Garden of Eden of the Ohio Midwest Valley. U.S. Yeah. <laughs> for a reason. Yeah, they do. They do. It's for a reason. And um, that's very evident while you're here. Yeah, it is lush. Oh, I mean, it is, it is lush. It that's is the lush. Thing. You know, coming from Denver, it's kind of desert E. Yeah, sorry Denver. Sorry Denver. Have more rain. <laughs> more Is that spread so out. hard. Spread yeah. out rain. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um I have a funny Reddit find. Oh, thank God. You. Um and this is very exciting to us. As a podcast. And us alone. <laughs> um but apparently they are making a biopic series. On Wax Museum founder, Madame Tussauds. Oh, I remember when you were telling that story and I was thinking, what a life. And Truly. we need uh, we need to see it on the movie. TV. Yeah. Um, and who's making it? Andy Serkis. Wow. Gollum. Yeah. And a little film franchise you might have seen. Oh, have I ever? <laughs> I love God Andy of Serkis. the Hoops. Yeah. <laughs> It's a basketball movie. Yeah. The God <laughs> of the Hoops. Oh, my God. Oh, that's what they call me, honestly. I don't know if you've ever seen me. When you wear hoop earrings. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I have something to share as well. And this is a place that I found that I feel like I had heard of but had never really looked into. But the Almwick Garden in... Hold on. I'm going to tell you exactly where in the UK it is. Northumberland. Um, has a poison garden. Okay. And it is filled to the brim with poisonous plants. Okay. 
and it just seems so cute. So I'm going to read this to you. Can I really quickly yeah. say the first use case for this that came to mind? Uh-huh. Please psychoanalyze. First date. Hilarious first date. Hilarious first date. It's cute. It's Insta-worthy. Also sends a nice, subtle message yeah. of... Don't cross me. Don't cross me. <laughs> I know where to find poison. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. The woman's weapon. Yep. <laughs> Do you dare to enter? The Alnwick Garden plays host to the small but deadly poison garden, filled exclusively with around 100 toxic intoxicating and narcotic plants the boundaries of the poison garden are kept behind black iron gates only open on guided tours visitors are strictly prohibited from smelling touching or tasting any plants although some people still occasionally faint from inhaling toxic fumes while walking in the garden also how do you i mean does that does no smelling does that mean you can't just like lean in and like waft it up or do you have to hold your breath? They just clamp your nose with a yeah, clothespin clothes before you walk in. Like, just inhale. I'm sure that'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, it'll be fine. <laughs> um, but this place just looks so cute. I mean, first of all, they have like a ton of different um, gardens. There's like a cherry blossoms, a rose garden. Uh, There's a treehouse restaurant. There's a tea cute. house. I just like, I need to go. Yeah. And then there's also a, um, actually today, so there's an outdoor theater. And today they put on um, Oscar Wilde's The Importance of Being Earnest. Stop. That's amazing. How cute. Cute. Yeah. Very cute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I love it. But that's really all I have. I'm not watching anything new. Still, I mean, you know me and Pretty Little Liars. Yes. Yeah. Hooked. And then I... Made you start watching Surface with me. Which, thank you for that. It's very You're good. Welcome. I do appreciate it. You <laughs> do know when I like things. So, That's right. Or when I would like things, and then I do like them. Yeah, hopefully. So thanks. Hopefully I know that at this point. Yeah, that would be weird. Yeah. Ten years later. <laughs> oh, a long friendship. <laughs> <laughs> Enough already. Enough. Get me out of here. <laughs> uh, um... I don't think I have anything else. I also have only been watching Surface with you. Yeah. You've been busy. I've been busy. Um, yeah. Really yeah. nothing. Okay. Well, I think I speak for the whole entire world when I say bye intro. Every last <laughs> one of you. <laughs> Hello, main segment. Yeah, we love you. Welcome. <laughs> we have had quite enough small talk. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are obviously really excellent at it. We're very good. <laughs> I'll have you all know, campers, that um, I would say 10 out of 10 times that we record, <laughs> at least one more often, both of us yeah. will, right before we hit record, you know, say something along the lines of, fuck, I don't have any small talk. <laughs> but this is because, this is not because we're not good at small talk. This is because we talk all day, every day. Yeah. There's nothing new. Like, I mean, I have no ability to delay the gratification of I need, storytelling. Yeah, I need to say it immediately. Yeah. Yeah. However, campers, you're not missing out on much because... No, it's... Uh, the things that we... <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, you have friends. You get it. You get it. <laughs> but here we are. Let me explain <laughs> how friendship and texting works. Yeah. I'm going to break it down. Let's break it down um, into a bulleted yeah, situation. Um, but, you know, all of that's in the past. You got the small talk you came here for. And it's now time for the full yeah. kit and caboodle. Full kit and caboodle. Um, so goodbye to this lesser intro and hello <laughs> to my museum. Yeah. Hello museum. <laughs> oh, we are spinning out of control. How many intros can we get away with in I one episode? Do. Should we do a third? Okay. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> and for our next intro. <laughs> no, we can't. We have to be stopped. <laughs> Somebody stop us. Okay here we go in 1974 14 year old trent sizemore started working at the gas station his father jack sizemore owned too young to work yeah just too young let's let's get, let's check out those child labor laws yeah i mean the 70s i understand wild west situation but too right. young um either way not the point of the story mm-hmm. One day, the pair decided to rent out an RV from the gas station. Then another and another. Oh, my God. Soon, what started out as a side business became such a hit that they pivoted their strategy completely. They opened up an RV dealership. (laughs) Gotcha. (laughs) You tricked me. (laughs) Um, business (laughs) Business boomed. And when they weren't selling RVs, the father-son pair was restoring them in the storage facility behind the dealership. Mm. Their collection of restored vintage (laughs) RVs grew. I knew you didn't see this one coming. I did not. I had no idea. (laughs) And that's when yet another opportunity presented itself. They decided to open up the collection for customers while they were waiting on their RV service. And it was a hit. Wow. Other uh, hey, other businesses take note. If you're gonna make me sit and wait, mm-hmm. have a museum, please. That's I mean, the honestly, least you could do. I thought we were turning this into a dealership podcast for a second, <laughs> but I'm glad we're not. <laughs> that would be so funny. Let the car talk, car talk, car talk part two. They would be the second so generation. Ashamed. Yeah. <laughs> we know nothing about cars. I know. Just a big disclaimer. Yeah. There. Nothing. Um. Okay. So the. Open collection was a hit. And that was the beginning of the Jack Sizemore Traveland RV Museum. Wow. In Amarillo, Texas. Because oh. apparently they don't say Amarillo. Yeah. Like is demanded like by is, my late grandfather. Know, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Amarillo. Amarillo. Um, I don't know why I did that with an Italian accent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we missed it a little bit. Yeah. Missed the mark. It's fine. Um, I felt like this is an appropriate museum to cover since I, in a way, Uh just mobilized my home. You did. And put it in a a box and put it on a truck and... Right. At least... Here we are. The innards. The innards. (laughs) The innards of my home. (laughs) Okay. Let's dive in. I have a lot of sources... Um, A lot of people, let me tell you, they write about RVs. Oh, people love RVs. I mean, they love them. I I think I'd like one at some point in my life. Yeah, I do too. Here's the thing. They're so big. 
Like, they just take up so much space. I'd be scared to drive one. I would never drive one. You will not ever get me behind the wheel of an no. army. Yeah. Can't that do is it. the opposite of recreation in my book. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I don't know. Like, here's the thing with RVs. What I like about road trips uh-huh. is leaving the car. And staying in a hotel. (laughs) Oh, right. And so the idea that you are on this road trip and you're just, you're just there. You're already at the hotel. You know, it's like, I think I would need some, some change of internal scenery. Right. I think also my thing is like, I agree with that completely. But also my thing is like, I have seen the vast majority of America at this point where like a lot. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have covered some ground. Um, but I think it would be fun to do one in Canada. Probably, like, I would assume that up in, like, you know, the Yukon and um, all of that, there's probably not as many hotels. Yeah. So, so it, would would just, need... it would be a practical option. Yeah. And that's a good point. It's a great, great call out. Yeah. You You're welcome. Okay. Um, so my first source is where I found out that the museum existed. It was the Atlas Obscura article for the museum. There is no author listed. Mm. So thanks, anonymous mm-hmm. Atlas Obscura contributor. Um, there's a Smithsonian Magazine article uh, written by Terrence Young called A Brief History of the RV. That was published September 4th, 2018. And don't worry, I'm going to read the entire thing verbatim later. Thank I was <laughs> hoping so. Thank God. Um, Wikipedia, of course, for recreational vehicle. An article on RVshare.com called Complete RV History by Leah. No last name. Okay. Okay. It's kind of like Madonna. Yeah, it's Beyonce. Yeah. Uh, Caravanclub.co.uk, RVhistory.com, and TinCanTourists.com. Cute. Okay. So from what I could tell, people have been converting big vehicles into portable houses for centuries now. Mm. Quite a long time. In the late 18th century, various horse-drawn stage wagons and the like decommissioned from public use. Things like ambulances, you know, other wagons. What have you. What have you. uh, Were being turned into homes on wheels. Mm. In 1884... History's first uh, hashtag van life er mm. arrived onto the scene. Uh, the Scottish-born doctor and writer Gordon Stables uh, was the first person that we know of to actively commission a portable home for leisurely purposes. Cute. He had the Bristol Wagon Works Company over in the UK uh, build him a leisure vehicle, which he dubbed Wanderer. He's such an Instagram girl. Yeah. He probably has wanderlust tattooed Tattooed on his lower back. (laughs) Uh, He embarked on a trip of 1,300 miles in this thing, which is crazy. And um, obviously shouts out to his horses that had to, you know, do the the vehicling part of all of this. Um, And like, you know, not only it's not like he was just riding them. They were lugging his literal house. Right. On those poor horses. Um, so this trip fueled him to start what he called the gentleman gypsy movement. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh, which was literally just the van life hashtag. 
uh, of the 1880s. Right. Uh, he was celebrating the many benefits of a lifestyle of leisure caravanning. <laughs> How did he make money? By being a doctor. Oh, right. <laughs> sure. I guess those guys. Those guys do whatever they want. Yeah. They run true. the world. Um, okay, so his, like, mo- the movement that he started, Gentleman Gypsies, um, served as the inspiration for the very first formal RV club in the world. Oh. I didn't know that RV clubs were a thing. Oh, I mean, I just, I had never heard of them but i knew in my soul and in my subconscious that that was a thing okay yeah weird uh, <laughs> <laughs> well it just feels like those people like you'd find them all at they a campsite gravitate. hanging out together yeah that's their whole thing yeah um, like a biker gang exactly it's a, just a, a house on wheels gang yeah um okay so the it was the first formal rv club the uk's caravan club mm-hmm uh, this club is still going strong over 100 years later. Wow. Still exists. Um, only now they are called the Caravan and Motorhome Club. They had to, you know, Gotta be rebrand. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The club has always existed as a way to network with like-minded caravanners and to offer advice and resources about routes, routes, routes. <laughs> you know this. Yeah. As... <laughs> Um, but as of 2017, however, they now offer glamping oh, resources. Oh, love a glamp. We love a glamp. Uh, so some of the sites that the club operates have glamping pods or yurts. Cute. Have you seen glamping pods? Do you know what? Does that like bring an image to mind? I When I think of glamping, I mean, I think of like, you know, like one of the canvas tents with like a, a floor. Yeah. And rugs. Yeah. Is that not a pod? Here's the thing. Glamping pods, they're very cute. They're very, um, you know, Instagram aesthetic. But they look, they're just like, they're just cabins. Oh. Tiny homes. I know. So it's funny that that's like, that they're rebranding the cabin to be a glamping pod. (laughs) I mean... Man, white people can be swindled. Yeah. In a number of different ways. What's in a name? Yeah. Uh, so the U.S. saw its first recreational vehicle a few years later in 1889. Um, and it's funny to me, I just assumed that the history of RVs would be so distinctly American. Yeah. Because, same. like, I don't know. I mean, anecdotally, like... Obviously, way too large of a country with, I mean, you know. It's which too much. Sh- I, I like it. Shouts out mm-hmm. that there's a, such a diversity of scenery. You can mm. get mountains. You can get swamps. You can get snow. Everything. You know, all of, you know, Beaches. desert, beach, all of it. It's yeah. all here. It's here. Um, And so I just kind of assumed, like, when I think of an RV, mm-hmm. I think of, like, a road in fucking, like, New Mexico or something. And you're just yeah. Yeah. heading towards... Sedona or something absolutely um but it will and I remember when I was in London um one time we were talking to um our Airbnb host and she was you know my mom and I were living in different states and we were there together and so she was kind of asking about the geography there our host was and she mentioned like 
I was like, oh, yeah, sometimes I'll go drive over and see my mom. It's like nine hours or something. And she's like, what? Like, that was just like so far out of her grasp. She's like, people don't do that here where they drive. She's like, we fly. Yeah. Like, and so I guess I had just kind of written off things like that. But it's crazy. Yeah. Um, Okay. So the U.S. saw its first recreational vehicle a few years later in 1889. This was a similar vehicle um, to the one that um, Gordon Stables had uh, had commissioned mm-hmm. um, and it was called the McMaster camping car the namesake advent inventor Alonzo J McMaster described the vehicle this way quote my invention consists of a camping carriage the constituent parts of which are so constructed combined and arranged that all the furniture bedding and kitchen requirements for camping purposes are supplied in the most compact form and the carriage capable of use at pleasure Hmm? Use of pleasure is weird. Yeah. Either as a sitting room, bedroom, or kitchen. Ah. So we love a convertible situation. Love. Also, just, um, I was trying to find this, but, um, and I don't know if you mentioned it at all, but recently some um, people, I think in Sweden, built the, f- the first, like, fully solar-powered RV. And just completed um, a 3,000-kilometer trip across Europe. Amazing. Yeah. That sounds like a dream. Right. That's the dream. Well, when I was, like, researching this episode, I was trying to watch some YouTube videos. And I was amazed, like, my YouTube, like, algorithm is going to be so fucked now because it's all these, like, van lifers. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just, like, crazy to me because there are some of them who they, you know, redo this whole camper van and then they'll like fucking fly it to mm-hmm. Africa or something and like trapes around there. And oh it just God. like that. I don't know. Surely there's a better way to just like go mm-hmm. to Africa. I don't know. Yeah. That's I weird. mean, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe not. Who knows? It'd be fun. It would be fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not anti. I just was surprised. Sure. I get that. Yeah. Um. Obviously, early RVs were horse-drawn, like we uh, mentioned, mm-hmm. but this did start to change after World War One. Automobiles actually became the more economical option for the average Joe, uh, as they were becoming more widely available at the time. Plus, you know, a bunch of horses had been killed in the war, which yeah. is something Oof. I hadn't really considered from an economic and societal <sighs> development standpoint. Yeah. Um, it's not something you want to think about something you want to think about and like what if cars hadn't been invented you know like that really like you know chauffeured in Mm. the dominance of the car but like what if the technology just wasn't there and we were still walking or would we just would horses switch to a different instinct instinct extinct (laughs) (laughs) we probably would have um pushed them to extinction and then yeah. you just switch to um, like a moose or something. A moose. Yeah. How hard could it be to domesticate those guys? It can't be hard. <laughs> Takes, I don't know, five years, ten. We're yeah. good. Tops. <laughs> uh, at the turn of the century, France was France was on the scene. They were, they had, you know. Oh, yeah. Showed were up. Were they ever. Were they ever. And they were really churning out powered RVs. Sure. 
They rolled out the first steam-powered RV in 1896, and the first gasoline-powered version followed closely behind in 1902. A steam-powered RV sounds like a nightmare. Yeah, like, I don't understand how steam engines work. Well, I just, I imagine you just always have to have someone working and producing yeah. that. Yeah. Right? I don't know. I don't, I don't know how I literally steam works. Don't know. I'm not going to pretend Do you just, like, boil water a lot <laughs> and then it... Just boil water. Yeah. Get the kettle going. Yeah. Get the kettle going. We're, <laughs> we're uh, slowing down. Um, in the USA, powered campers gained traction a few years later in 1904. Mm. Uh, but by 1911, Americans were showing a clear preference for pop-up tent campers. So not, like, oh. carriages as much as the pop-up tent ones. Sure. Um, so the good roads movement had made car travel easier and more accessible across the country. Um, and then the growing number of national parks gave Americans exciting new destinations for an all-around affordable vacation. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Teddy. Thanks, Ted. And John Muir. Yeah. Love you guys. Um, in 1919, the USA saw the birth of its very own, if its very first RV club, mm. the Tin Can Tourist. That's just so cute. It's genuinely so cute. Oh. Um, they also are still around today. Cool. And here's their history per their website because it's pretty cute. Uh-huh. Um, brace yourself for a long quote. Great. America's early RV users began to get organized in 1919. The Tin Can Tourists was America's first RV club. They formed at DeSoto Park in Tampa, Florida in 1919 in order to, quote, unite fraternally all auto campers. <laughs> uh, a secondary objective was to clearly distinguish those who camped by choice from those who traveled due to economic hardship. The confusion between the two groups caused much frustration to early recreational campers. <laughs> So basically, <laughs> I'm not classism. a hobo. Yeah. yeah, I'm not a hobo. I'm simply camping. I'm, listen, you guys, it's different. It's different. <laughs> I'm doing this for fun. Yeah, this is a choice I made. They're, they have to. Yeah. <laughs> My God. So fucked up. Um, according to current tin can tourist Royal Chief Terry Bone. No. So many good things <laughs> in that sentence. Royal Chief Bone. Yeah. The group was named after the Ford Model T used by many members and known affectionately as the Tin Lizzie. Oh, sure. I've never heard of it called that, I don't think. Mm. If it I did, sounds I vaguely deleted familiar. that yeah. file. Because, again, not a big car gal. We're not car people. How many times? But welcome to you? Car Talk. Yeah. <laughs> welcome. Uh, <laughs> Members' vehicles would be recognized by a tin can on their automobile radiators, which qualified them for discounted fuel at selected gas stations. Nice. Love a good deal. We love a deal. Joining the group required learning a secret handshake, <laughs> password, and the organization's song. Oh, my God. I want... That's... Okay. I, want it. I need to be in I need. It. I need to be in some sort of group with a secret handshake, or else I'm going to lose my mind. Yeah. Yeah, same. Okay. At the very least, we can start one. We should. Yeah. Um, also, a funny note about this is that this is a U.S.-based uh, organization, obviously, but they spell everything the British way. So organization <sighs> is organization. Come on, you guys. It's so funny. <laughs> um, meetings of... Oh, wait. Skip 
subject sentence. So the organization's song. Uh, the head of the organization was called the Royal Can Opener. Okay. I <laughs> I love it. Love this. <laughs> Uh, which was changed to Royal Chief in 1935, which is still funny, but not good. Not as good. Yeah. Royal Can Opener. Royal Can Bring it back. Bring it back. I love it. Um, meetings of canners, <laughs> known as homecomings, winter conventions, or going home meets. This is so where it's starting to sound like a cult a little bit. Sure, sure, sure. Homecomings. Um, we're held around the country with the winter convention taking place in Florida each year. Of course. Man, parking must have been a nightmare. Oh, God. <laughs> by, <laughs> by 1921, this is crazy. By 1921, the organization had 17,000 members. Holy fuck. How did they find each other? What on earth? Yeah, know. were they just like... Yelling really loudly? Sending or? carrier pigeons? <laughs> yelling really Anybody want to go camping? <laughs> <laughs> um, so they had 17,000 members in the USA and Canada, which swelled to over 100,000 by 1924. Oh, my God. I mean. Who is their PR person? Yeah. Who is their social media guy? <laughs> Initially regarded with some skepticism or skepticism <laughs> um, by local communities and the media, the tin can tourists were, by the 1930s, broadly welcomed. Mm. During the 1930s, trailer manufacturers would often attend the canners' camps in order to sell their trailers. The, ma- the major contribution of tin can tourists to RV history in America was the creation of a community of like-minded people who could come together, regardless of the type of RV they owned. Sounds like a cult. Yeah. <laughs> they cemented the RV as a recognized, democratic, and enjoyable leisure pursuit, creating in the process an important social and photographic record of camping with vehicles during the 1920s and 1930s. Do you think that there's, like, cliques within the tin can tourists? Like, yeah. the Airstreamers are like, ugh, uh, look at that group of Winnebagos over yeah. there. Well, yeah. Name another camper. I can't. <laughs> That was all of my knowledge. I, I used it all it. up in one it. joke. I knew it. Um, so the organization continued to hold meets in the, into the 1980s and then was reformed in, the ni- in 1998. So I don't know if it like stopped being a thing for a second or if it just was like... During the Reagan years? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they were just like, um, we're going to take a little hiatus. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Um, okay, so now I'm going to uh, read a little, I'm going to read the entire article <laughs> um, from Smithsonian Magazine, um, A Brief History of the RV. We'll see how brief it feels after I've been reading it for <laughs> 25 minutes. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, but I like this one. And again, this is by Terrence Young. Um, a member of the family. A member of the family. September 4th, 2018. <laughs> Getting a pop-up ad that's not helping. Okay. On August 21st, 1915, the Conklin family departed Huntington, New York on a cross-country camping trip in a vehicle called the Gypsy Van. I know. Um, you guys, it's offensive. We gotta stop saying gypsy. We've gotta, t- we've gotta stop doing it. Um, yeah. Okay. Visually arresting and cleverly designed, the 25-foot, 8-ton conveyance. Mm. 8 tons is so much. That's too much. How much does a normal car weigh? 
I would say at least a hundred pounds. And then it's at least a hundred. Yeah. I'm trying to set parameters. It's here. so okay. So it's no more than a hundred pounds, and it's no. Wait, no. Less it's no than less 100. than a hundred pounds, and it's no more than eight tons. That's so it's right. somewhere in between there. Somewhere in between. We've narrowed it down. It's a spectrum. In I the think. in the grand scheme of infinity, I mean, that's a pretty. We've done a pretty good job. We've done great. Um, okay. Eight-ton conveyance had been custom-built by Roland Conklin's Gas Electric Motor Bus Company. Uh, hey, shorten the name. Uh, to provide a maximum of comfort while roughing it on the road to San Francisco. So, New York to San Francisco in 1915. Ooh. I bet they did not have air conditioning in August. A lot Gross. of dysentery going on. Yeah. Uh, dysentery central. <laughs> uh, the New York Times gushed that... Uh, that had the commander of the faithful ordered the I don't know what this means I meant to look it up ordered the gins j-i-n-n-s is that an offensive term um I don't know what say the sentence and then I'll maybe the some context commander please. of the faithful had ordered the gins capital j-i-n-n-s uh, to produce out of thin air a vehicle which should have the power of motion and yet be a dwelling place fit for a caliph mm. I feel like it might be like I don't know. Well, like what I'm thinking of is currently, I think if you were caught up on what we do in the the shadows. shadows, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I was thinking of genies, but. Um, Jen. Oh, it is basically the same thing. Yeah. Hmm. A genie. Okay. It's just. um, Oh, a Romanized. Yeah. I've only seen it with a D. Yeah. It's hard to spell. Okay. Uh, so the genies had produced out of thin air a vehicle which should have the power of motion and yet be a dwelling place fit for a caliph. The result would have fallen far short of the actual house upon wheels, which just left New York. Mm. So even a genie couldn't have done any better. Yeah. For the next two months, the Conklins and the gypsy van were observed and admired by thousands along their westward route, ultimately becoming the subjects of nationwide coverage in the media of the day. I love hearing about historical things that have gone viral oh a good old old old-fashioned meme word of mouth Mm -hmm. yes luxuriously equipped with an electrical generator and incandescent lighting a full kitchen pullman style sleeping berths oh a folding table and desk a concealed bookcase a phonograph convertible sofas with throw pillows a variety of small appliances and even a roof garden what? A roof garden. A roof garden. Also, Did, when how would that not blow away? <laughs> when we're saying Pullmans, isn't that like, um, what did they make, like coffins or hearses or something? Oh, I or don't train know. cars? <laughs> one of those. It's one of those three. Yeah. And, uh, you know, dead people have been in all of them. That's true. So, I don't I'll know. I'll look it up. Okay. I think they're train cars. So, um, whatever that means for yeah, this. A train bed. A train bed. <laughs> um, okay, so even a roof garden. This transport was a marvel of technology and chutzpah. For many Americans, the Conklin's Gypsy Van was their first introduction to recreational vehicles, or simply RVs. Mm. Ubiquitous today, our streamlined motorhomes and camping trailers alike can trace their origins to the time between 1915 and 1930. When Americans urged to relax by roughing it and their desire for a host of modern comforts first aligned with a motor camping industry that had the capacity to deliver both. 
relax by roughing it. Talk about an oxymoron. Ugh. You're the oxymorons. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. I get the like, like romanticizing that. Mm-hmm. But I, I get. I always romant. I always romanticize camping, and then I'll like. I hate it. Like I had to sleep on the floor the other day on a sleeping pad when we had already packed up our mattress, mm-hmm. and I have it's never been more angry. Yeah, I was so angry. It's terrible. And we had air conditioning. Like I was fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it it always seems like a good idea camping um and then the reality of it at some point hits you and it's just the bugs um here in in Ohio/Kentucky the humidity Have you ever heard of two worst camp counselors? <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot that was our whole thing. <laughs> really our whole thing. Oops. Oops. <laughs> um The Conklins did not become famous simply because they were camping their way to California. Camping for fun was not novel in 1915. It had been around since 1869 when William H.H. Murray published his wildly successful Adventures in the Wilderness or Camp Life in the Adirondacks, (laughs) America's first how-to camp guidebook. Mm. That would probably be so good to read right now. What do you think his two middle names were? Uh, Henry Hoover. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. Don't know. Henry Harrison. Henry Harrison. William Henry Harrison. Uh, Hobart Humphrey. Yeah. 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 I mean, that covers all of them. That's it. Generations. <laughs> Ever since Murray, camping literature has emphasized the idea that one can find relief from the noise, smoke, crowds, and re- uh, regulations that make urban life tiresome and alienating. Um, by making a pilgrimage to nature. Mm. All one needed to do was head out of town, camp in a natural place for a while, and then return home restored in spirit, health, and sense of belonging. Sure. That's how it always happens. Yeah. When I come back from camping, I am usually just, like, extra grateful for my shower. Well, and I was going to say, like, what year? Yeah. Yeah. If we're talking, like, early 1900s going camping, uh, Pretty close Uh, to just your everyday life. Yeah, it's not that far. (laughs) Um, Isn't there, I think Jim Gaffigan had a joke years ago that was like, um, yeah, everyone was camping until they invented the house. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And thank God. Thank God they invented the house. Um, While in the wild, a camper, like any other pilgrim, had to undergo challenges not found at home, which is why camping has long been called roughing it. Sure. Challenges were necessary because, since Murray's day, camping has been a recapitulation of the pioneer experience of Mm. the pre-modern frontier, where the individual and family were central and the American nation was born. Mm. Barf. Um, (laughs) Barf. (laughs) (laughs) Camping's popularity grew slowly, but got more sophisticated when John B. Batchelder offered alternatives to Murray's vision of traveling around the Adirondacks by canoe in his 1875 book, Popular Resorts and How to Reach Them. Mm. Man, canoeing around the Adirondacks, though, sounds so fun. That sounds amazing in the fall. Yeah, especially if somebody else is doing most of the rowing. Yeah. (laughs) My arms get tired. I can't. We should bring our guys along to do it. Yeah. Um, Okay. Uh, In that book... 
Batchelder identified three modes of camping. On foot, what we call backpacking. Sure. On horseback, which allowed for more gear and supplies. Mm-hmm. The horse is like, hey, I didn't agree to go camping. Yeah, they're so tired. Take let me em, back to my house. Let them take a nap. Yeah. Um, let's see. Backpacking on horseback, uh, which allowed for more gear and supplies. And with a horse and wagon. This last was most convenient, which we should just call driving. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, this last was most convenient, allowing for the inclusion of more gear and supplies, as well as campers who were unprepared for the rigors of the other two modes. Yay. Um, <laughs> however, horse and wagon camping was also the most costly and geographically limited because of the era's poor roads. Mm. In short order, Americans across the country embraced all three manners of camping, but their total number remained relatively small because only the upper middle class had several weeks vacation time and the money to afford a horse and wagon. Yeah, still true. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't afford a horse these days. I know. They're so expensive. Yeah. Ugh, And they know it, too. They know it. They're trotting around here like. (laughs) Yeah, you can't afford me. (laughs) Bitch. I'm too expensive for it's you. Too expensive for you. <laughs> if it ain't money, then wrong number. Yeah. <laughs> so say Ariana, so say horses. Have you seen these shoes? They cost more than your mortgage. <laughs> <laughs> Yet they eat hay. Yeah. It it's just it's maybe they yeah. Maybe they just haven't tried um caviar. Caviar. <laughs> A horse eating caviar and like sipping champagne with those lips. Can you imagine a horse versus a champagne flute? (laughs) I I can. Yeah. I'm visualizing it. Okay. I'm manifesting it. I I hope to see it someday. Honestly. (laughs) I bet that if we look up horse drinking champagne, there's someone has got a. We'll find it. Someone has done it. Yeah. We'll we'll find you. Um. <laughs> Over the next 30 years, camping slowly modernized. In a paradoxical twist, uh, this anti-modern back-to-nature activity has long been technologically sophisticated. Sure. As far back as the 1870s, when a new piece of camping gear appeared, it was often produced with recently developed materials or manufacturing techniques to improve comfort and convenience. Mm-hmm. Camping enthusiasts, promoters, and manufacturers tended to emphasize the positive consequences of roughing it. But, they added, one didn't have to suffer through every discomfort to have an authentic and satisfying experience. Here for that logic. Love that. Love that. Love that. Instead, a camper could, quote unquote, smooth some particularly distressing roughness (laughs) by using a piece of gear that provided enhanced reliability, reduced bulk, and dependable outcomes. Sure. Around 1910, the pace of camping's modernization increased when inexpensive automobiles began appearing. With incomes rising, car sales exploded. At the same time, vacations became more widespread. Soon, bachelors' horses became motor vehicles, and all the middle classes started to embrace camping. The first RV was hand-built onto an automobile in 1904. The pro the proto motorhome slept four adults on bunks, was lit by incandescent lights, and included an ice box and a radio. 
Over the course of the next decade, well-off tinkerers, ugh, my <laughs> least favorite type of tinkerer, uh, continued to adapt a ver- I'm looking at you, Elon Musk. Yeah. Uh, continued to adapt a variety of automobiles and truck, uh, truck, chassis, ch- chassis, C-H-A-S-S-I-S. I've seen that word before. Don't know what it means. Don't know how to pronounce it. We're moving forward. Car talk. To create even more spacious and comfortable vehicles. But a bridge was crossed in 1915 when Roland and Mary Conklin, who we started this long article with, <laughs> launched the, their gypsy van. Mm. Um, and this thing looks so cool, actually. Um, unlike their predecessors, the wealthy Conklins modified a bus into a fully furnished double-decker motorhome. Love it. The New York Times, which published several articles about the Conklins, was not sure what to make of their vehicle, suggesting that it was a sublimated English caravan, land yacht, or what you will. I I love anything double-decker. Same. Do you remember the double-decker um, taco from Taco Bell? No. Oh. But I am picturing it. I am manifesting <laughs> Yeah, I'm manifesting it. Please bring it back, Taco Bell. Yeah. And, you know, Taco Bell, if you happen to be listening, I could really go for a Doritos Locos Cool Ranch taco. How dare you? <sighs> yeah. How dare you, Gary Gilmore? How dare you um, when it comes to your political contributions, Taco Bell? Mm. yeah i'm not as up on that news but you know great (laughs) strike two (laughs) yeah (laughs) um okay but they were certain the new york times uh was certain that it had quote all the conveniences of a country house plus the advantages of unrestricted mobility and independence of schedule the family's journey was so widely publicized that their invention became the general template for generations of motorhomes. The appeal of motorhomes like the Conklins was simple and clear for any camper who sought to smooth some roughness. A car camper had to erect a tent. Don't say rough, smooth some roughness and then the word erect. Yeah. In neighboring sentences. They know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. It's <laughs> subliminal. A car camper had to erect a tent, prepare bedding, unpack clothes, and establish a kitchen and dining area, which could take hours the motorhome camper could avoid much of this effort according to one uh, 1920s observer a motorhome enthusiast simply quote let down the back steps and the thing was done departure was just as simple i'm gonna send you this picture it's Please. um it's really cool oh my I god know. Isn't that fun? oh i love that they're just having the best time it looks like it would get the worst gas mileage oh absolutely just having to stop every mile every mile by the middle of the 1920s many americans of somewhat more average means were tinkering together motorhomes many along the lines made popular by the conklins and with the economy booming several automobile and truck manufacturers also offered a limited number of fully complete motorhomes including REO's Speedwagon Bungalow. Oh, my God. And Hudson Essex's Pullman Coach. Sorry, this article is so long. Yeah. Um, Articles be doing that They sometime. be doing that. <laughs> um, okay, let's see. Trying to think if there's anything I can skip here. Um... In spite of their comforts, motorhomes had two distinct limitations, which ultimately led to the creation of the RV's understudy trailer. Oh, we love an understudy. Love it. 
Um, okay, so a camper could not disconnect the house portion. It was just single use. So sure. So you couldn't just attach it to an already functioning car. Mm-hmm. Although the Conklins had carried a motorcycle, which is oh. what a cool family. Wow. Love them. Um, Motorhomes were large and limited to traveling only on wide automobile-friendly roads. Um, let's see. Motorhomes remained a marginal choice among RV campers until 1960s. Trailers, by contrast, became the choice of people of average means. <laughs> um, so then goes on to talk a little bit about trailers. Uh, the earliest ones appeared during the early 1910s. Uh, but they were Spartan affairs. Oh, just a basically a platform that had like a tent yeah. stapled to it. Right. Um, and so then people kept tinkering. They used the word tinkering a lot in <laughs> this, um, and creating tent trailers. Um, and then uh, let's see, tent trailering, however, had some drawbacks that became clear to Arthur G. Sherman. In 1928, when he and his family headed north from their Detroit home on a modest camping trip. Sure. A bacteriologist Mm -hmm. and the president of a pharmaceutical company, Sherman departed with a newly purchased tent trailer that the manufacturer claimed could be opened into a waterproof cabin in five minutes. Unfortunately, as he and his family went to set it up for the first time, a thunderstorm erupted and claimed Sherman, they, quote, couldn't master it after an hour's wrestling. Everyone got soaked. The experience so disgusted Sherman that he decided to create something better. Classic Big Pharma. Classic Big Pharma. Did you think that was going to have to do something with like a bacterial infection? Yeah. (laughs) An outbreak. Right. Twist. Twist. Uh, So then he created a new trailer design and it was a masonite body standing six feet wide by nine feet long and no taller than the family's car. On each side was a small window for ventilation and two more up front. Inside, Sherman placed cupboards, icebox, stove, built-in furniture, and storage on either side of a narrow central aisle. Uh, so it was just a box next to it. Sure. Um, that was similar to what we did with, for or what we still have for trailers. It was just made out of canvas. Okay. Um, not extremely durable. Not extremely durable, but you know. You know. It's fine. Um, so then he started calling these, like, covered wagons and formed um, the covered wagon company um and the shape of an rv industry was set wow over the next decade the company grew rapidly to meet demand uh they were built on the assembly line model in the auto industry um blah 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 gross sales of three million dollars wow in the 1920s which is like yeah hello oh wait in the 1930s sorry well yes still still yes Yes. Um, and then let's see the last paragraph here. Um, today's 34 cl- foot class A motorhome with multiple TVs, two bathrooms, and a king bed is a version of the Conklin's gypsy van, and, a fifth, and fifth wheel toy haulers with pop outs are the descendants of Arthur Sherman's covered wagon. Mm. And these, in turn, are modernized versions of Batchelder's horse and wagon camping. Between 1915 and 1930, Americans' desire to escape modern life's pressures by traveling into nature intersected with their yearning to enjoy the comforts of modern life while there. This contradiction might have produced only frustration, but tinkering creativity and a love of autos instead gave us recreational vehicles. Which is fun. Love it. We love recreation. Um, It's my favorite. It's my favorite. It's my favorite. Okay. 
article over. So sorry, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had to pat it somehow. Sometimes um, you just gotta do it. You that. gotta do it. You gotta do it. Well, and I couldn't find anything much about the Conklins, like on Wikipedia. That was really the only place that mentioned it. And so mm. I was like, well, I could just use a lot of synonyms. Yeah. But, okay. Uh, so the museum itself is located in Amarillo, Texas, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and consists of mostly the meticulously restored vintage vehicles that the father and son pair Cute. had restored together. Many reviewers mentioned that they've been staged in things uh, specific to the time or with things specific to the time mm. uh, so that it feels like a step back oh. in history. And I've said it before. I'll say it again. That is my favorite yeah. type of exhibit of all time it's Make the it best interactive yeah. yeah let me pretend like i live in the 1930s please let me pretend yeah i want to make um, believe i know i want to believe <laughs> apparently their most popular exhibit is the rv from the 2006 robin williams movie rv um which i don't think i ever saw i don't think i did either i'll watch it um but actually it's coming back i think i did see that movie <laughs> Yeah. I don't have a lot of memories from that time mm-hmm. in my life, but uh, that sounds very familiar. Yeah. It does. Yeah. It does. Um, but aside from that Robin Williams uh, feature, there are plenty of other one-of-a-kind vehicles. The oldest Airstream in the world is there. It's from 1935. Um, and then the next is a quote of a few of the other um, hits from the Alice Obscura article. Um Quote, the first Itasca motorhome built by Winnebago in 1975. Mm -hmm. Heard of it. Heard of it. Is also in the collection. Uh, That one is completely original with 6,000 miles on it, said Trent, the son. Mm -hmm. Another draw with historic Hollywood significance is the 1976 FMC motor coach used by famed makeup artist Max Factor. Oh. I don't know who that is. Yeah, me neither. He's a famous makeup artist. I believe it. I just don't know a lot of makeup artists. Yeah. Or famous people. So. Um, years ago, this is still the quote. Years ago, the Sizemores teamed up with the Amarillo Area Motorsports Hall of Fame and Museum, which didn't have enough space to house its collection of vintage race cars. There's a lot of race cars here, too, from soapbox derby to grand champion cars and other rare cars, Sizemore said. One more quote from Trent Sizemore to close us out. Quote, I am 61 years old now, and I go to a lot of vintage rock concerts, he says. I love the music, but more than that, I love feeling like I'm in high school. When people go to the RV museum and they walk in a trailer, that's like they took a vacation with their family when they were kids. For for that moment in time, it takes them back to that place, and it gives them that moment they remember. Oh, cute. Um, There are hundreds of reviews on google for this place and they're Mm -hmm. all very positive i could only find like five that weren't okay and um they were the negative ones were basically just from people who were upset about like some part in the sales process from the dealership because the museum is like behind the dealership oh right and so you know obviously that's so they just like don't know how to leave sure you correctly yeah internet's Um, hard yes so none of them really were all that funny um Mm -hmm. but i did find this one that I really enjoyed. This is from Ophelia a year ago. Mm-hmm. One star. Don't remember going there. <sighs> okay. <laughs> so, thank you, Ophelia. Ophelia. Come on, girl. Appreciate you. Yeah. It's like she stepped out of the Shakespeare um, play and decided to write a 
review. That's yeah. not how they work. That's not how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that is the Jack Sizemore Traveland RV Museum. Oh my in god. In Amarillo, Texas. Wow, 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 wow. I love it. I love how nostalgic all of that felt. I know. It was really it's cute. so good. Yeah. So I, good. I love it. It just makes me want to do a road trip, which I just did. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't really like a road it trip. Wasn't it was just a, like a car ride. Yeah. A long, You need like a fun road trip with like stops, um, unplanned stops, planned stops, all the kinds of stops all that you stops. can stops. <laughs> yeah. Pulling out all the stops. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, my God. Thank you for listening. Oh, my God. Um, my ears have been blessed. Campers, um, <laughs> how are your ears feeling? Good? Um, mine are fine for what it's worth. Mine are a little hot, I think. Okay. Cause just because, you know, we had a cocktail. We had a cocktail. Um, <laughs> campers, uh, we hope that you've enjoyed your time here with us. Uh, we know we've loved having you listen um if you are enjoying um how good this sounds uh you can send your thank yous directly to madison she picked out the new microphones (laughs) we love them um (laughs) if you don't like the way this sounds absolutely shut the fuck up and walk away yeah please don't tell us we are we're very sensitive i'm very sensitive and i just can't be i just i can't I can't. I can't do it anymore. We can't. Um, we would love to hang out with you on social media. Mm-hmm. Please go to Twitter, TikTok, or Instagram. Those mm-hmm. three only. If you look us up on Facebook, it's I'm not going to be there. If you look us up on OnlyFans, we good luck. We don't know what you'll find. <laughs> yeah, we I'm don't know what you'll find. It won't be us. <laughs> it will be imposters. Yeah. Um, but you can find us on those three social media platforms at the museum camp. Mm-hmm. If you have not ever left us a rating or review, first of all, how dare you? How dare you? Second of all, what a beautiful opportunity for you yeah, to give for back. This you're welcome for this opportunity. So just look down at that, um, whatever app you're listening to us on right now and see if there's a way that you can kind of like boost us up a little. Yeah. Lift us up on Eagle's wing. Yeah. I will sing you raise me up by Josh Groban directly to you. If you leave us. I like that better than the Mad Lib. (laughs) Just say we're going to get copyrighted immediately. Josh Groban is going to sue us. Yeah. 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 He does like his ladies to pop. (laughs) So yeah, that's true. Maybe we could schmooze him yeah we will um and then lastly and finally uh if you really like this podcast and you want to be part of an exclusive club Mm -hmm. um similar to the tin can tours yeah (laughs) similar but not the same not the same at all it's less cultish more i wouldn't say there's no cult vibes there's a little bit i mean as a group is wont to have uh, obviously we've got some cult vibes but you can go to patreon.com slash the museum camp. Um, and it literally is five bucks a month uh, to get all sorts of goodies and to get extra content. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, yeah. what are you doing if you're not doing that? Yeah. Shouts out to the patrons whose monthly uh, contributions allowed us to buy these new microphones. Yeah. And um, as a thank you, maybe we'll post the like two minutes of embarrassing stories we told <laughs> as we were testing out these mics. Actually, I think that we should. So just so you all know, um, to tantalize you a little bit. 
when we were testing out these mics, um, you know, I asked Madison to tell me an embarrassing story from her childhood and she did. And then of course I added one, um, as well. So if you want to know those really embarrassing things about us, yeah, you might want to join Patreon because I think, I think we're going to put that there. Yeah. Um, that is the whole motherfucking spiel. We hope that you have enjoyed this episode. We've loved having you here and we will see you next time. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye. Bye campers. We love you.